we uh, oh, that's right. We, we spent a couple weeks talking about how um, how God created the church and what the church was, and we we saw that the church was the at least one way to say it is that the church is the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. It's He's the life of it, but we're the body of that life. He's the the source and the substance. We never become that source, but we become the living body for his increase and his manifestation and his glory and all of that. So, I mean, we looked at the picture I drew on the board last time, I think, and the time before, a seed going into the ground, coming out as a as a... Um, as a tree and how it, before going into the ground, the seed, the life had one form after coming out of the ground, the life had another form. And that, that form before it went into the ground was just one man, Jesus, the Nazarene. And afterwards, Jesus, the Nazarene had a greater body. He came out of the grave as just the head as just, you know, he, he certainly did come out of the grave, uh, as, as, uh, you know, the, as Jesus Christ, although in a form that couldn't be recognized without people's spiritual eyes being opened. But the purpose of him coming out of the ground as, as it is with every everything that is planted into the earth and dies and then increases is to have a greater increase, have, have, an, have, a, have a body of glory, <clears throat> as the scripture calls it. So, um, I want to talk today about... Well, so we we have now. If we remember, this class is about the eternal purpose of God. So we have we we've talked a little bit about some general statements about that purpose, and then the the fact that it's a, a corporate thing. I called it. You can call it a body, a temple, um, a harvest, um, a kingdom, whatever. A wife that receives life from. Um, from God receives the love of God, which is the giving of His life, and then becomes in itself the the body for the increase of what it receives. And so we talked about that. We talked about the fact that Israel is the way that God demonstrated that reality in types and shadows. Then we looked at a handful of pictures of um, uh, of, of basically, you could say the birth of the church, or the way that God brought um, many into the death of one, and then brought the one out of death as the life of many. And so now, at this stage of the game, we're we're looking at Israel again as a picture of this corporate people, and which we could call the church, which we could call the kingdom, which we could call the bride, which we could call any of these things. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, Jeremiah, well, God is speaking, and he's, and he's speaking of Israel, and he calls, he says, I remember when you first came out uh, of Egypt into the wilderness, you were, uh, I forget the first phrase, but he says, you were, Israel, something, the first fruits of my increase. The first fruits of my increase. And that's, and that's how God. Uh, that's how God saw Israel coming out of coming out of Egypt. He saw Israel as the. What was in God's mind? How was what was God's perspective of this thing that came out of out of Egypt? It was, here comes the first fruits of my increase. 
So, and, and you know, many people in the church think that the purpose of God was just to get them out. And that's just really such a man-centered, earthbound view. If you start to see a little bit of, just a little bit of light working in your heart, it should be enough to kill the idea that God's purpose was to get them out of Egypt. God got them out of Egypt for a purpose. He took them out of Egypt to bring them into a purpose, to to fill them with purpose, but but getting them out was not the purpose. Getting them out was a was a precursor that was necessary to to uh, to moving on to purpose. But both Israel in that day and Israel in our day. And when I say Israel in our day, I mean, I mean still that corporate spiritual body of Christ. I don't mean a national natural thing. Um, it. it both Israel on that day and Israel on our day still think that God's purpose is centered in us and getting us out of a bad situation or sin or hell or whatever version of Egypt we we however we define it. And that's that's just not true. And that's that's how Adam sees. I understand that. That's how everyone. It's that's not it's not a crime to start thinking that way. It, it, that's you can't not start thinking that way. That's how Adam thinks. But with a little more light, there's a greater view that begins to unfold in your heart, and you see this whole thing's about his purpose, where 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 he's bringing this thing, and and we're getting there. Um, we we've described it in some basic terms, but we're getting there. But before we, I think, I think now that we have this corporate body out of Egypt in the wilderness, there's two. I wrote down here two basic things we need to understand. One is how does God see and relate to this corporate body. Uh, if you don't understand that, then then you really don't understand... Um, you don't understand anything. You, you, it's, it's like a baby that's been born and has no idea of what life is, what its purpose is, what this body that it has can do, what these hands are for. I mean, it, it's, it's great that it's been born. I mean, that's a miracle. Uh, it's great that Israel's come out of Egypt, but then what does Israel exist for? And, and, and what's the way that God is, what's the nature of the relationship that God has with this people? That's, that's one question. And then the second question is why? Why? Where's it all going? Why is he relating to this people? And we're going to spend a little while, a week or two or three, I don't know, um, I'm kind of I'm, I'm doing this this class. I, I was thinking about it this morning. We could go into a lot more depth into all these things, but I, I, I don't want it to be one of those classes that goes on for like six years, like most of the ones I do are. So um, I wanted to kind of keep it as a short overview, something people can listen to online without having to make like a yearly commitment. So, what's the nature of the relationship that God has with this corporate people? Well, in a word. Christ is the nature of that relationship, and I, and I know that 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 sounds like a Sunday school answer for kids, um, and I also know that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you first hear it, but it's still the right answer. What do I mean when I say Christ is the nature of the relationship that God has with this corporate people? And this is this is my drawing here behind me of of this corporate body of Israel. I could have. 
elaborated upon it and put a bunch of individuals over on this one side and then draw the Red Sea and then have them come out and now these, all these individuals are seen as one new man, like Paul says in Ephesians 2, um, one new man in Christ. So that's my drawing of that. When I say that Christ is the nature of God's relationship to Israel, what I mean is that every single aspect of what God requires of them in this relationship is a picture of Christ. Every single aspect of what God is is requiring of them, whether it's their the moral aspects of the law or the sacrificial or the aspects, the, 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 the ceremonial aspects or, or the ways that they relate to each other or the ways that they relate to him or the, way, the things that they do, the things that, that, that God commands them to do. All of those things are pictures of Christ in one way or another. That's what, that's what, the, whole, that's what the whole thing is. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, that's what it's all about. Okay, and then every every single aspect of what God forbids Israel to do is forbidden because it is something outside of Christ, something contrary to Christ. Now, if we can see this, then these then then, then the whole Old Testament and the whole Old Covenant begins to open up to our understanding in our heart because when most people read the, the, the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, if they even read them, because they're generally considered to be really boring. And they are boring if you don't see... It's like, you know, they're boring in, in the sense of like looking at someone else's photo album that you don't even know. You know, can you imagine picking up uh, some random, you know, person's photo, photo album and flipping through and like, oh, they're having some kind of birthday party there. You know, you're looking through it and it doesn't mean anything to you because you don't know the, the people that you're looking at. You don't have a, but, but if, if that's your, you know, your best friend or your cousin Sue who you grew up with and there they are having, you know, their second kid, then it's exciting because you know them or whatever. That's kind of a weird example, but that's kind of how it, if you don't know the, the life that all of the, the the person, the reality, the relationship that all of these pictures are pointing to, then it feels like you're flipping. I mean, it's even worse than flipping through photos because you don't have a clue what a meal offering is about, you know? And why in the world is it talking so much about leprous sores and white hairs that grow out of scabs, you know? And... And, and you're reading through these things, and you don't know what it's a picture of, and and uh, and and that's and I think that that people just kind of skip over it, or or they just think, man, I'm so glad I'm not living in that covenant, you know, and then they they move on. Well, there. What we're gonna, and I'm not gonna even attempt to try to go through all the details of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, so you can <clears throat> take a deep sigh of relief, but. Um, but what I do want us to understand is that these things, these different, I drew, I drew them in a, I kind of broke them down into a bunch of different chunks and stuff. And, and, and these different divisions of, of what you're seeing within this one corporate man, um, 
These are the aspects or the ways that the relationship works. That's really what it's all about. These are the aspects, or, or you could put it this way. There's lots of things happening within the boundaries of this covenant. And those lots of things are the way that God sees Christ as, as, as his relationship with you. And those things are the things being described in all of the aspects of the law. Okay? In the Old Testament. So, God's dealings with Israel were basically the filling up of this man with the testimony of the coming man, Christ, who is his fulfillment. Does that make sense? God is, what's, what's God doing in Leviticus? He's, he's filling up this corporate body of Israel with a description, a testimony, a foreshadowing, of natural pictures of coming attractions. He's filling it up with this gigantic testimony of all the things that are going to be spiritually real in Christ for, for an eternal people. Uh, people that are joined to the spirit and truth of the matter. Uh, people who become who who come within the, the the spiritual boundaries of Christ, and not the natural boundaries of the old covenant. All right, so that's what he's doing. And the whole description of the relationship, if you were going to put it in one word, uh, I think that word would be priesthood, because because the whole thing. I mean. Again, sometimes we're not even familiar enough um, with those books to, to see some of the what, what holds them all together or what, what's the common theme. But the common theme in all of it is how a people are relating to God through a priesthood. The priest is involved in everything. The priest even examines those scabs. I mean, the priest is doing everything. The, the priest is, is receiving from the people these offerings and sacrifices. The priest is the one bringing the people... Uh, to God, bringing God to the people in every conceivable way. The priest is is the one that has all of these activities involved in the ceremonies and the feasts and 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 the offerings. The priest is the one examining everything that's impure and and dealing with it according to to the law. The priest is involved in all of that, and. Uh, and, and God, right away, the first thing, and this is important for us to understand, the first thing that God begins to do with Israel after bringing them out of Egypt is He begins to talk to them about the priesthood. And what that means, again, and I'm trying to say this in a handful of different ways so that one of them maybe will click in your heart. What that means is that the very first thing that God does with you is he tries to, he begins to, 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 and I say try because to the measure, um, to the measure that you allow him, he begins to teach you the relationship that he has with you. He has a very specific kind of relationship with you. The moment he, he brings you out of Adam and brings you into Christ. He doesn't, and so so with Israel, he doesn't right away start to deal with them about their increase. You know, filling up the land with their increase. No, because that would have been an increase of ignorance. It would have been an increase. It would have been an increase of of their imaginations and their ideas. So before he 
even talks to them about any increase at all. He wants to show them what needs to increase. He wants to teach them the relationship. He wants to show them in, in every conceivable way what they are, who they are. And so he doesn't, he doesn't start right away talking about the kingdom. The kingdom comes later. Not because really they're two separate things in God's mind, but because, or two separate relationships, they're not really, but, but because if, they, if God would have just let them all out of Egypt and say, okay, now go out there and be the kingdom of God, it would have just been a big kingdom of flesh, a big kingdom of, again, a kingdom of imaginations, a kingdom of darkness. It would have been the kingdom of, of, of man's ideas. And, and you see all of those man's ideas right away in the book of Exodus as soon as they come out. That's what God's dealing with, one after another, after another, after another. God's dealing and, and, and trying to cut off man's ideas and reveal Christ. That's what he's doing. I mean, what do, what do you mean, Jason, he's trying to reveal Christ? Christ didn't come for 2,000 years later. No, no. Christ is the thing that God... Christ is the manna that fell from the heavens right away. Jesus himself says that in John chapter 6. Christ is the water that comes out of the rock. Paul says that in second, in First Corinthians chapter 10. It says that that the, that the water that they drank was 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 speaking of Christ. Well, I'll just read that to you because it's actually really cool how he says it. Um, First Corinthians ten. Okay, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So, just in case, uh, you know, you kind of missed the fact that all that was talking about Christ, Paul's helping us out here a little bit. Uh, What was the mountain? Well, you know, what was the covenant that they entered into the mountain? What was the blood that they sprinkled on the altar at the base of the mountain? What was the staff that had a serpent on it? Jesus himself says, that's me, in John chapter 3, even as Moses lifted up the serpent on the staff, and all who looked at him lived, so, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so everything he was doing with Israel, you know, and, and that's not even getting into the tabernacle, because the tabernacle is just one big multifaceted picture of Christ with the high priest and the breastplate and the Ark of the Covenant and the veil and all of these things that, that Christ gathers up into himself. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that what, what God began to do with Israel is reveal Christ right away. He began to try, and I, and I say try again, just to, just to, I want this to sink in too, because the Lord reveals Christ to the measure that we give him room to reveal Christ. To the measure, he, he, or you could say it that he he shows you his son to the degree that you're willing to part with um, another man. To the degree, to the degree that you're willing to lose one life, he, he, you're able to see the life that he's trying to show you always. And and so he's he's revealing Christ. And the people are holding on to their ideas and their imaginations, which is just exactly what we see today. That's what happens in our hearts, too. That's what's happening right now in the church in a million places in a million ways. God is trying to show one son and from, from, a, from a multitude of different angles. A son that filled up 
all these pages of testimony and a son that that fills up eternity in the revealing of him in spirit and truth. And uh, so there's these phrases that keep appearing in, in, in these in these stories. I will be your guide. You will be my people. And, and he says that a lot, you know, and then you will know I will be your God, you will be my people, or, or for I am your God and you are my people. And, he's, and, and what is that except the, 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 the fact of a relationship? He's trying to show them what it means for him to be their God and them to be his people. And they have no idea. They have no idea. And just like, just like them without any idea of what it means to be in Christ, we run out and we, we get saved, you know, we, and, and I'm assuming, I mean, I'll talk about those who I think generally are saved. And, and, and what we do is we run out and try to expand the kingdom of God. And we have no idea what the relationship is. We go out there and we start sending out missionaries as fast as we can, you know. Get out there, tell your neighbor. Tell them what? Tell them you got saved. Okay, but then what? What is getting saved, and, and what is what is salvation, and, and what's the nature of? We don't even ask those questions. We don't even know that they are questions. We just start trying to make an increase in the earth of our own ideas, and and, and everyone's got a different idea about who, what, what God's like and, and what it means to relate to God. I mean, we it's, it's a whole it's a whole. It depends what church you go to, what culture you live in, you know, what your parents say, what your pastor says, what some book you read says. Everyone's got a different idea. And, and, and so we become the kingdom, you know, everyone says, look at the kingdom of God in the earth. And, 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 and someone a little more, uh, um, I don't know, uh, wise says, wait, which part of it? Because it's all totally different and it contradicts itself and, and everyone's fighting. Like, oh, no, no, it's, the, it's, it's Christianity. It's the kingdom of God. Well, what part of Christianity? Because this part of Christianity says that this part isn't Christians. And that part says that that part is heresy. And that part says that this part, you know, you know, whatever. And it's just this big, ugly mess. And the reason it's a big, ugly mess, if, if you want to really just boil it down, I think it has, a, has very much to do with the fact that we ran out ahead of the Lord and showed everyone our flesh. <laughs> We ran out ahead of the light. We ran out and tried to make a, an increase of something we didn't even know. And we still don't know. And, and you can do that for 50 years and then die and still never know the thing that you're supposed to be bearing the image of. So, uh, I have here as a, head, a heading in my notes, the importance of understanding the relationship. Every believer, every believer of any kind, says they have a relationship with God. I mean, every believer in other religions say they have a relationship with God. But let's just stick with Christians. All Christians say that they have a relationship with God. But when you ask them to define that relationship, that question doesn't even usually make sense. And if, if they do try to answer it, they, they, what, they, what they give you is a bunch of personal ideas or experiences or actions. Like, you say, all right, can you define your relationship with, with God? You know? And, and 
It has nothing to do with these thousand pages of testimony that describe it. What it has to do with is, oh, well, I talk to him every morning on my drive to work. You know, well, that's nice, but that's not the nature of the relationship. You know, or they say, oh, well, he understands me and he forgives my sins. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but but what's what's the or I mean, I've heard everything. <laughs> I've heard some really weird things. I, I don't know if I should even mention it, but when I first moved to Kansas City and, and I was kind of getting introduced to the charismatic uh charismatic people it was the first time in my life and, and they're not all this way so but but there was I met some real flaky people that were just I was trying to figure out this whole like gifts of the spirit thing and these people were telling me one lady I remember telling me that she had a pet bird in the spirit and I was like wait a second what does that mean <laughs> you have a pet bird in the spirit but anyway I know I, that just popped in my head because <clears throat> that was my first home group we went to this home group and we were all trying to I think we were all trying to prophesy or something and I was trying to like pick up how this stuff worked and this lady leaned over and she told me she had a pet bird in the spirit and it always stuck with me um the bird, the bird stuck with me and, and it's look there it is still on my shoulder no uh, I stole her pet bird in the spirit actually <laughs> and if you guys can't see it there's something wrong with you uh well I mean that's a that's a that sounds flaky and, and weird, but it's really not any more flaky. It's just it's one imagination versus another. I mean, one one guy says that God's mad at me because I did something bad. Well, that's an imagination too. God's not mad at you. God crucified with Christ everything that He could ever have had wrath towards. You know, and that sounds a lot more spiritual. God's mad at me because I'm evil. You know, and, and the other person says, "I got a pet bird in the spirit." You know, and. and one of those sounds a lot more cool than the, or, you know, whatever, biblical than the other one, but they're both ri- ridiculous. And, 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 and so, so that's what I'm trying to say. We don't, we don't understand that the, that the relationship has a, a nature to it. And, I mean, and that, that's, again... We don't. We don't even understand that those words. Like, and, and if you were to say that, like, we, we in the natural realm, we have we have relationships, and we kind of intuitively understand that these relationships have a, a particular nature to them. You know, I mean, I don't ask Milo if I can braid his hair and you know tickle him, but I would do that with uh, my kids. You know, my girls. Or my, my relationship with my wife. There's a very specific kind of, of a relationship that I have with her. It involves, there's certain boundaries to it. There's certain things that are not acceptable in it and not appropriate within the nature of that relationship. And I understand that. We don't have to, you know, between Jess and I at least, we don't have to write down all those rules. They're kind of assumed and, and, and whatever. But but there are certain things that are um, that, that are. That are basically the definitions or the parameters or the understanding, the agreed upon understanding about how that relationship works. And there's other things that if I tried to bring other things into that relationship that were contrary to it, I'd get slapped, you know. And, well, that is, at least in a a very small uh, I don't know, in a a kind of an illustration type way. God has established a relationship with us that is that is Christ. Christ is the way 
that God that God sees you, that God relates to you, that it's what God wants from you. It's how Christ, knowing Christ is knowing the relationship. And we're going to see more about that, I hope, in the next couple of weeks. But I remember when I was, I was already a pastor, um, when I realized that I remember the day that it hit me so hard. I remember I remember realizing that I had a relationship with God and yet and I had a lot of years and experiences being a Christian, but I had no idea what the relationship was. And I and I realized that I had invented my own version of it just like everyone else does. And and I, I remember that just hit me with because I was supposed to be like leading people in Christianity or whatever, in whatever way a pastor does, but that I was almost or maybe entirely ignorant of the relationship that I had with Christ, with God in Christ. I didn't even know what that meant. And, and I'd, I'd seen enough light to realize that I was ignorant, but I hadn't seen enough light to realize, to, to, to help my ignorance, you know, to, to bring me out of ignorance. And, and I, I remember sitting there thinking I had both like fear and excitement about that. I was freaked out because I feel like I was letting go of everything and had nothing to hold on to. But I also was excited in the sense that I, it had to be more real than this nonsense that I had been doing for, for so long. And so I was kind of excited, but mo- mo- mostly I think at that time I, m- I remember thinking that this is not going to go down well with the church, you know. If I start speaking and acting as though I've never had any idea what it meant to know Christ, and I'm a pastor, you know. And it, then it didn't go down well with the church. It went down like a rat sandwich. And uh, so, what? So here, here's a question. Where do you go to find a written description given to us by God of the relationship that we have with Him and, and His Son. And the church, I think, at large would probably say, the Gospels, you know. And, and, and that's just, no, no, not really. That's not where you go. And, and someone might say, well, the epistles, you know, the New Testament. And, and, and yes, there's some truth to that, partly. But the epistles are more than anything else just gathering up the pictures that God gave us and declaring them to be real in Christ. They're not really painting the pictures. They're just grabbing the pictures and saying, this is now true in Christ in a spiritual, eternal way. So where do you go to actually get the pictures? I mean, to get the descriptions. Uh, you know, to get the real, if I can say, nuts and bolts of... <laughs> of how God sees the relationship, where you go, um, you go to the priesthood. And I know that that's, I mean, that, that sounds really strange to a lot of, uh, a lot of believers. And it, it certainly would have sounded strange to me that you go to Leviticus of all places to understand how God is relating to you and his son or, you know, Exodus, Leviticus numbers. But I, believe with all my heart that that is absolutely the case I have I wrote down just a few uh, general examples here just, and, and, and we'll get into I want to I get in next week I want to get into 
just try to summarize the relationship that we see in the priesthood in three three general categories. Um, those those categories being um, what what is God looking for from us? What are we receiving from God? And and what is God doing in us to transform us into into the image that He sees? I think those three categories to me stand out as the three main. Ca- and, and again, two years from now, it might be five categories or whatever. But right now, I see these three main categories of 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 what the priesthood is all about. God giving himself to a people, God receiving from a people something that is pleasing to him, and God working in the people to purify them of all that is not him. Those are, to me, the three the three big categories. And we'll get into that, but I just made the statement that I think that the, the priesthood is where you go to understand what it means, how God sees you in Christ, and I just want to, give, to end up today just giving a few examples. For instance... Um, what do we find in the priesthood? We find that Christ lives in you. <laughs> Christ lives in you. Now, I know Paul states that a million times, but, but if you want to really see what that looks like, you have to turn to the pictures of God dwelling in the midst of his people and exactly what that... I mean, he even says in Exodus 25, it's a little famous... Scripture, when, when God's about to build the tabernacle, this is how he describes it. He says, uh, well, this is the New American Standard, I like it better than the New King James, but it says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and as the pattern of all the furniture just so you shall construct it. So before before they even build the tabernacle, God tells them what it's for. I'm giving you this pattern of something that you're going to build that demonstrates my dwelling place in you. And 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 that's I mean, as you read through that verse, this this big light should go off, ding ding ding, in your mind that oh, this is important. Wait, he's tell, he's describing. He's giving a, a pattern of a spiritual relationship of God dwelling in the midst of his people. And, and so that's there. And, and, and all, the, all of, the, um, all of the, the multitude of, of, of things that are involved in that tabernacle and God's dwelling there in the midst of his people, all of those things are so important because they're all pictures of Christ dwelling in you and what he's doing in you and how he's living in you and all of that. So that's there. Um, you can see uh, one thing I love, a picture that I, I love to talk about, is what what it means for us to be hidden in Christ. Or ba- Paul talks about being... Uh, you know, we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God or baptized in Christ or clothed with Christ or covered in Christ. And, um, and how God relates, God sees Christ as the nature and perfection of the relationship and not the flesh that we manifest in, in Christ. And one of the places that, that illustrates that so beautifully is in Numbers. Um, just to mention it to you, advertise it to you. I've talked about it before, so you're, you're probably familiar with it. But it's just where it's just where there's this whole uh, people 
uh, sinning in Israel. This is after they refused to go into the land, and now they're they're mixing together with this foreign sea. The 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 um, and Baal of Peor, I think, is the name of the, the place, and 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 they're bringing in these these uh, foreign wives and and this and that, and they're they're basically breaking every rule in the book. And meanwhile, so here, here here's the camp down here, and then meanwhile they're up on a mountain. This guy Balak has hired Balaam to curse the people, and, and he brings Balaam up on top of this mountain so he can look down and see this whole massive company of Israel. And, and Balaam is there to curse them, but the Spirit of God uh, comes upon him and, and says, um, uh, well, I, have, I think I wrote it here. It, it's, it's, I, I have to find the, There's a couple verses, but he says basically, the Lord looks upon his people and says, how can I, how can I curse whom I have blessed? The Lord has found no iniquity in Israel. The, the Lord has found no sin in Jacob. And, and and so that, that those are the words that come out of Balaam's mouth as he's looking down at at this people who are currently in the midst of this sinful thing, rebelling and having not entered the land, rebelling against God, and yet they're still within the boundaries of this covenant. Now, it's not saying that sin is okay, or that by, this is like what Paul says in Romans six: Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means, but still. Though they were manifesting flesh in this covenant, God looks down through this covering of Christ and says, "I don't see iniquity in Israel." You know, and that—that's you know, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's just—it's it's an awesome picture, and there it is, right there in Numbers. You know, where God's describing the relationship. Um, we can see pictures of how God relates to relates to our sins. And the fact that forgiveness of sin is in Christ. Most people talk about forgiveness of sin as the way of getting into Christ. But that's death. Death is how we get into Christ. And then once you're in Christ, there's forgiveness of sins. And, and, and forgiveness of sin is shown to us because every sin, everything contrary to this description of Christ that happens in Israel is brought to the altar in the form of this animal. Hands are laid upon it and the thing is killed and then dragged outside of the boundaries of Israel and burned out here. And so you can see how God is constantly removing flesh from his sight, removing the forgiveness of sins that's in Christ. Um, you can see tons of pictures of how flesh has no place in this relationship. That flesh couldn't enter into the tabernacle. That 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 anything that kind of kind of gross pictures, but but important. Anything that came out of flesh was unclean. Anything that flowed out of flesh, even if it's completely considered natural by the by the by the human being, if it came out of flesh, you were unclean and had had to go through various purification rites, pictures of Christ, to cleanse you from anything that had flesh as its origin. And also, things that grew on flesh made you unclean. If, if it grew from and spread from flesh to flesh, that was unclean. And, and, and these pictures are in, in Leviticus, and we'll talk about those, because they're really, they're, even though naturally speaking they're kind of gross, spiritually speaking they're very important. Um, that flesh spreads... It's, it's contagious in, in the corporate body of Israel. And, and if, if you don't think that's important, look around at the church today and you can see that flesh is contagious in the body of Christ. Um, 
you can see the, the reality of our participation in Christ's death in Passover. You can see the greatness of, of uh, and, the, and, the, and the transformation of, of the body of Christ in the, in the and the feast of unleavened bread, and how immediately there's a there's a loaf, a new loaf without any leaven, a new people without leaven in their dwellings, and um, you can see the fragrance of Christ uh, is always what God accepted from the people, and nothing else, nothing that they offered that wasn't what He specifically designed in His pattern to represent Christ. Everything else was rejected. In fact, if you if you messed it up, uh, there was often death involved, or at least sin involved. Uh, of whenever the testimony was broken, um, because because God is serious about what He receives and what He offers, He offers Christ and He receives Christ from His people. You can see pictures of the division between flesh and spirit, Adam and Christ, the oil, the specific anointing oil, the oil that represented the spirit. You couldn't even put it on flesh if you anyone made it. It was only allowed to be made by the priest for the specific things that represented Christ. But if anyone made it or touched flesh with it that wasn't um, uh, Aaron or you know the high, that which represented Christ, that person was cut off from Israel. I mean, it, it, and 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 just to conclude, we started a little late, so I'm going a little longer. But um, just to just to conclude, what happens if we don't understand the relationship? What happens if we don't understand? What happens if we don't let the Lord deal with our hearts about His own view of this relationship? Well, the answer is right there for us too in Exodus. We immediately, naturally, create golden calves that to some degree allow us to maintain a God, but to control and define the relationship according to our own ideas. And that's what that's what we do. We have millions and millions of versions of Christ and Christianity in the church. We have and and, and we say that there we, we call them Christ. We call them Christianity, and and for the most part, uh, the, the the reason there can be millions of them is because they're all. God doesn't have a million view, a million views of His own Son, nor a million views of the relationship that we have with Him in that Son. Those. Ideas and contradictions and, and, and all of the divisions and denominations and all of that stuff exists in us for the simple reason that we don't know what it means to be in Him. We don't. We don't understand the nature of the relationship. And so just like Israel made a golden calf and said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. This is the God of Moses. You know, And it wasn't. But it was as far as they understood him to be or as far as they wanted him to be. It was a representation of their imaginations and their desires. And they called, they gave it the same name. They gave it the name Yahweh. And, and what I'm trying to tell you, and we'll stop with this, but what I'm trying to say is that unless we, unless the relationship is, is defined in our hearts in his light unless his understanding progressively becomes our understanding, then we set up some kind of a golden calf and we begin to worship it. And we call it Christ. We call it Christianity. And it's according to our own imaginations and it's according to our own desires. So...